All right, so Genesis eleven twenty seven through chapter 12, verse 9. This is God's word. It says, Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his, in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah. And the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarah was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and A on the the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. The grass withers, the flowers fade away. The word of God stands forever. Let me pray for us before we... Consider it further tonight. Heavenly Father, we, whether we recognize it or not, we need you to break in, to break into our sinful selves, to illuminate this passage. We don't come to it neutral. In our sin, we, without your good work, we would not hear you. So God, would you be so gracious as to be here with your Holy Spirit to, uh, to give us ears to hear tonight, to show us something of yourself, your grace and your mercy in Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen. All right, so way back in 2003, I had a couple of friends who, um, whose wives, I was friends with them uh, in college, and their wives got to be on Oprah Winfrey's Favorite Things episode. All right, now I'm hoping that you still remember who Oprah Winfrey is, right? little nod if you know who Oprah is. She's only one of the wealthiest women in the world. Well, one of the wealthiest people in the world. And she actually used to have a television show. If you're not familiar with this, right, you can look it up. And so once a year from, let's see, what was it, 2002 to 2010, Oprah had a show. She would do it once a year, and, uh, you know, you wouldn't know when it was. So it was a big surprise, and she called it her favorite things episode. And basically, she would take... The, the things that she had enjoyed that year, her favorite things that she had been given or that she had bought, 
And she would profile them on the show, and she would give one of them to everyone in the audience. So if you happen to be on the show, you got showered with gifts for like an hour. Somewhere between five and $10,000 worth of stuff. So you can imagine like when you get there and you realize that they tell you that that's the episode that they're filming that day, people go crazy, right? Um, because it's, yeah, basically Oprah shows up. It's one of the wealthiest people in the world. And she says, essentially, I'm going to give you a whole bunch of great stuff absolutely for free. I'm just going to shower you with the best stuff. And I don't know about you, but that would be pretty cool. Right? I'm, I'm probably not going to own a $1,500 watch, you know, other than someone like that giving it to me. Um, but, yeah, you can imagine how much fun that would be, right? How much fun it would be to, to, to receive something like that. And that story came to mind because it's just a little hint. As I was looking at this story and thinking about Abram and what God says to him, what he does for him, that story popped to mind. It's just, it's just the faintest hint of what God does with Abram. Abram. And I'm going to say Abram, Abraham, right? He's going to change his name. I'm going to say both. Forgive me. Right? Because as cool as it would be to be on Oprah's favorite things or something like that, it's not going to last forever, right? Like my friends probably don't even still own much of what they had. That was 12 years ago. Stuff's probably gone. But what we see here in this passage is that basically God shows up to Abram and he says, I am going to heap blessing on your head. I'm going to give you lots of amazing stuff absolutely for free. I'm going to give you more than you can imagine. So this semester, right, we're studying through Genesis And we're saying that Genesis is like season one of of all of life, right? It's the backstory. And just like if you want to understand an episode of a TV show now, right, that's in season three, what better way to understand what's going on there than to go back and watch season one? And so for us, the same thing. As As we want to understand life, who we are, who God is, what what life is all about, what better place to go than back to the beginning, right? And that's what we're doing every week. And so now in Genesis, we come, we come to sort of a turning point in Genesis and really in the history of the Bible. The, the narrative is about to really slow down, right? Each week we've been, you know, several hundred years passes each week. But now we're, we've come to the story of Abram and Abraham. And everything's going to slow down and focus in on him and how God blesses Abram and how he's going to use Abram to bless the world. And yeah, in this passage, we're going to see that God is a God who brings great blessing. And he brings it absolutely for free. So we've been talking a lot about judgment. right? God's grace has, has been through it all. But now we're sort of at this turning point where from here on out in the semester, in a very real sense, God's grace is going to come to the forefront. So I think that... If you'll stick with us, you'll enjoy seeing that. Tonight, I want to look at this in in three ways. We're going to ask three questions. First, what is the blessing? What is the blessing? Two, who is this blessing for? And three, what is the response to God's blessing? All right, so first, what is this? What is the blessing, right? Let's just go ahead and define the word. What does it mean? 
Well, one of the commentators that I read as I was studying on this, I liked his definition, said, said that it means to confer abundant and effective life on someone. To confer abundant and effective life on somebody. In the Bible, it's often, it's often connected with concepts of prosperity, having lots of things, lots of stuff, fertility, uh, having victory, right, in battle. You get the idea. It's the idea of causing life to flourish in every way. And God says that he, God uses that word bless five times in two verses. Was it verses two and three? He says it over and over. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. He's going to cause Abram's life to flourish in extravagant ways. And so I want to take a second just to sort of hone in and look at the details of of this promised blessing. So God promises Abram that he's going to make a nation out of him. He promises that he's going to bless him, that he's going to make his name great, that he's going to bless those that bless him, that he's going to protect him, right? He's going to curse those that curse Abram. And that he's going to use Abram to be a blessing to everyone else. Now, we might kind of, I think initially, especially if you grew up in, the ch- grew up in church, right? Going to Sunday school and hearing about these stories. It's really easy to kind of gloss over that, right? Like, yeah, yeah, God blesses Abraham, right? He makes a nation out of him, right? Father Abraham had many sons and what? Many sons had Father Abraham, right? Everybody knows that song. There you go. And so we kinda, you kind of gloss over it. But I want you to see tonight, I want you to look at it fresh in a couple of ways. And, and right here I want you to see that the blessing that God comes and he brings to Abram are enormous. They're enormous. God basically comes to Abram and he basically says, I'm going to make you like a king. I'm going to make a nation. I'm going to make you be the source of an entire nation. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to be right with you. I'm going to protect you. And I'm going to change the world through you. It's huge. And remember where we are in, in Genesis, right? In the history of the world, right? We, we had the flood. God sends his judgment and wipes most everybody out. But then sin is still, uh, right, still in Noah and his family's heart. And sin still reigns on the earth. And then we had the Tower of Babel last week, right? Where we see that sin is still just as rampant. So sin is this huge problem. And yet God comes to Abram and he says, I'm going to dump every resource that I have into into and onto you to change the world. If anybody in this world finds happiness, it's going to be because of you. It's huge. I mean, it's it's almost unimaginable for for Abram. You know, it would be like you know, it's struggle to find any illustration or, or idea that, that even touches this, right? But, and I hate to use sort of a money illustration, but imagine if, you know, it's like finding out that, that you're Bill Gates' long-lost relative, and he says, I'm going to leave it all to you. All 70, what, 75, 76 billion dollars in change, whatever it is now. That's all going to be yours, right? It's more than you could have... You don't even have really a category to think like that. It's a blessing that's unimaginable. It's going to change everything. All right, so what does that mean for me and you? Because, right, all right, so great for Abram. He's going to make a nation out of him. That's cool for him, I guess. But what does that mean anything for us? 
Well, first, what I want you to see is just in general that there is good news. That God, right, we've talked a lot about judgment over the last few weeks. But I want you to see that God really does intend to bring blessing on the earth. He intends to bless the world. And he makes promises of life, to bring life to people and not death. And you see that God sets out by his own initiative to save and bless people. And secondly, I want, you to, I, want you to see, I want you to see how huge these blessings are. Right? Because God doesn't promise to make a nation out of you and I necessarily. Right? That, it really is specifically to Abram. But this really is in some sense, it's, it's been going on, right? We've talked the whole time about this. But in some sense, this is the beginning of God's promises to, to all people, right? He's going to bless all the, all the peoples of the earth through Abram. And we, we're going to connect some of the dots here in a little bit towards the end. But right now we can say that because of what we see in the New Testament, right, looking backwards, that ultimately these promises are going to be realized for us in Christ. Listen to Galatians 3.29. It says, And if you are Christ's, then you are Abram, Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. You hear what that's saying? That you get, to, you get to inherit what was promised to Abraham. So those blessings really are for us. So what, what has God promised us? God has promised to take away all of your guilt for everything that you've ever done. God has promised to take away the shame. He's promised to give you a new name, a new reputation. To take your reputation of sin and give you the righteousness that He has. That's what He's promised. He's promised to restore completely your relationship with Him. He's promised to give your soul rest. He's promised to be with you. He's promised to love you. He's promised to provide you everything that you need. He's promised to wipe evil off the face of the earth, ultimately. And He, and he promises to be with you, to bring you with Him and enjoy perfect communion without evil and without sin forever. An unending paradise. Those are the kinds of things that God promises to us. Right? And I'm sure I left some out. So look, first, if you're here and you're not a believer, one, I hope we're really glad you're here. And I want you to hear, if nothing else, I want you to hear that those things, that's what God offers to you. That's what He offers to you for free. He offers unimaginable blessing. But if you are a believer, I want you to think about this. We're going to, look, there's lots of ways we can apply this. I want to go this one direction. When do you feel like God is blessing you? What, maybe you can ask it this way. What do you really want from God? Because if you're like me, if you could draw it up the way you wanted it, it, it would probably, I'm guessing, I know for me it would be something like, I default to things like, it would be nice to have a little bit more cushion in my bank account. I don't want to be the richest man, but you know, maybe so I don't have to worry about money so much. Um, 
Maybe you want your grades to be a little better. Maybe you want, maybe you want to finally find that special someone, right? Maybe you want to just have a few good friends that you can relate to. Uh, maybe you want to not be sick, not feel bad. Things like that. And I think you and I, when we tend to not have those things, which by the way are all good things and, and certainly ways that God very well might bless people, right? But then when we don't have those things, I think it's easy for us to wonder, where, where is God's blessing He's promised great blessing, but where is it? And so it's easy for us to think that his promises and, right, yeah, the blessing that we talk about, maybe it's not so great. But one thing that I think we can take from this passage is that it, I think it pushes us to see that our vision of of what God's blessing is, it's not that our vision is too big and God doesn't fit it. God doesn't meet it. But our vision is way too small. Right? That God's blessing is far bigger than those things. Right? We might want the, we might want the blessing of a little more cushion in our finances so we don't have to stress about it. But, but maybe what God really is doing is blessing you in that He's growing you to trust Him. To trust the, the creator of everything. The giver of all good gifts, right? And he's growing your heart to learn to depend on him who gives you everything you need so you can ultimately have peace. Or maybe you expect God to bless you by taking away some certain sin in your life that's just plaguing you. And he's not doing that. But maybe what God is doing is, is blessing you to show you That he really is that gracious. He's forcing you to see that he really is gracious to sinners, to real sinners. That have trouble or in a sense can't quit. So that your love for him begins to grow and you actually are a blessing to others. Or maybe you expect God to bless you by giving you a boyfriend or girlfriend and he hasn't. But maybe what he's doing is he's blessing you in a far bigger way. Because he's growing you to see that you have in him a true lover. Someone that loves your soul perfectly and that will never leave you. God's blessings are are far bigger than we realize. And he uses all, all of his resources at his disposal to bless us. All right, so we've seen what the blessing is. Who is this blessing for? Um, well, obviously, this promise is for Abram. And you might, you might default to thinking, like, well, okay, of course it's for Abram, right? Like, of course God's going to show up to Abram because he's in the Bible, right? He's one of those people. Um, and that's true, he is in the Bible. But actually, who Abram is might surprise you. And I think it might change how you understand the story. Right? The reason we read uh, that first part in chapter 11 that seems really boring, right, about... Terah was the father of so-and-so and all this, right? Why do we read that? We read it for this reason. Because everything about his genealogy actually tells us something. And it, what it points to is that the fact that, that Abram and his whole family were idol worshipers. Right? It's not that God looked, you know, we tend to think like Abram is like the father of the faith, and he is, right? But, so basically God looked around like, Abram, you know, he's my, he's my best shot. 
He's the only one that really, really loves me. No, he worshiped idols. Um, uh, yeah, it seems to be in particular the moon god Sin, S-I-N. His father's name, Terah, is related to the Hebrew word for moon. He names his daughters Sarah and, and Milka, which were also moon goddesses related to Sin. And they lived in Ur and then Haran, which were both huge uh, centers of worship of this moon god. And just in case you think I'm reading too much into this, we have other information. Joshua 24.2 says this. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, they, and they served other gods. The Bible just comes out and tells you. They were idol worshipers. Right? He was, Abram was thick in the middle of worshiping some pagan moon god. And on top of all that, the text goes out of its way to say that Abram's wife, Sarah, is barren. And just in case you don't know what that means, it tells you she did not have a child. And on top of that, Abraham's like, what, 75 years old. So think about that. That's the guy that God called to give these promises to. I'm going to spread my, I want to spread my name. I want to fight evil people that are making a name for themselves. I want to spread my name and my glory for the benefit of the world across the planet. I need someone that loves me. I'm going to take, and I'm going to do it by making a people right out of him. So I'm going to take that guy. It's the last person you might expect. Let's go back to my friends that got to go to the Oprah show. Okay. So one aspect of the story that I did not tell you, because it fit really well here, is that as they were standing in line, before they know what's going on, what episode it is, they get, uh, they get chosen out of line. Somebody represented from the show comes and, and starts picking people and say, hey, it wants you and you and you, uh, you know, come with me, and tells them, you're going to sit on the front row. Okay? So why would, he, why would they do that? Was it, was it just random choosing? Like, hey, guess what? You're lucky, you're lucky, you're lucky. Now, if you know them, you would know this. It's definitely not random choosing uh, because they were, you know, this was a while back. They were in their mid-20s, and both of these girls are just beautiful. And so was everybody else that they picked to sit on the front row. So why would you put them up front? Why would you pick out the beautiful people? Put that in quotes. Why would you pick out the beautiful people and put them up front? Because those are the ones that are going to be on camera the most that people are going to see. Right? They're trying to project an image, right? Oprah, Oprah is beautiful and she has beautiful things and beautiful things for beautiful people. We're all beautiful, right? Everything, is, everything looks good. That's the whole flavor, right? And I want you to see that that is exactly the opposite of what God does. God's showing us that he's going to pour out blessing on people and he's going to do it on people that are not put together well, that are not beautiful. Right? It, it almost sounds crazy. Like, so imagine, it's, it's almost like if there were a draft, like in the NBA right, or NFL, God is picking a team. He's picking people to change the world and he gets first pick and the only pick. In his first pick, it's like he says, all right, I'll take... Uh, Give me, the, uh, give me the moon-worshiping redneck that can't have any kids. I'll take that guy. I'll change the world with him. Why? Why does he... Why? Does he, I got made fun of because I say, why? <laughs> Sorry. 
Why? Why would God choose him? Because God's going to use a guy that when he breaks into his life and he dumps that kind of blessing on his head is going to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it's not because of anything good in him. That it's only because God is good and gracious that he has this blessing. That's why God chooses a guy like him. He's showing, the world that he, showing us in the world that he's going to save it and he's going to bring unimaginable blessing and he's going to do it purely by grace. So what does that mean for us? I think it's pretty obvious, pretty simple. That the good news that God makes amazing promises to you and blesses people like Abram, people that don't deserve it. It means that it really is by grace. That it really is for people, and and actually only for people that can't get it together. That that, that the, the magnitude of God's blessing, it's for people that cannot clean themselves up enough, despite their best efforts. God's blessing is for people that have a lot wrong with them. Right? If you find, I, I've found myself saying that a lot. Parenting will do this to you, I think, among other things. I find myself saying a lot, I have a lot wrong with me. And if you find yourself saying that, that's actually a great place to be in God's economy. Because the blessing is for you. If you find yourself there. Because it's purely by grace. Right? Think about the Tower of Babel. People wanted to make a name for themselves, and what did they do? They worked really hard at it. And what happened? Total dysfunction and frustration. And what does God do for Abram? He comes along and he says, I'm going to make your name great. Isn't that amazing? This is the next story. I'm going to make your name great. You know what you're going to do for it? Nothing. I'm going to give it to you. It's by grace. So, we've seen what the blessing is, how big it is. We've seen who it's for. It's for messed up people, hopefully like us. So what's the response to God's blessing? We don't have a ton of time for this, so we'll have to be quick. But there are basically three quick things I want to look at. We see that Abram responds in faith, in obedience, and worship. See, Abram responds in faith, right? Because Abram doesn't deserve God's promise, because it really is by grace... All Abram does is trust God. Like we just said, he doesn't work for it. He doesn't earn it. God doesn't give him or you a great plan. Abram, I'm going to give you a great opportunity. If you do these things, here you go. He comes and he gives him good news. Abram, I'm going to bless you. And so Abram, we see in Hebrews 11, that Abram obeys out of faith. He went out not knowing where he was going. Right? He, he heard God's amazing promise, knew it was for free, and, and he just took it. And the same is offered to you. Right? That God in Christ offers you unimaginable blessing, and all you have to do is take it. To come with empty hands. But he also responds in obedience, right? Abram heard God's promise, and he trusted him. And that actually motivated him, that motivated him, to obey God. He followed him. He went into a foreign country. Left his people. 
And it was motivated out of God's blessing, right? Not the other way around. He didn't obey to get God's blessing. But it did motivate him to obedience. He wanted to do what God called him to do. And now look, we're going to see next week, it's, it's a beautifully sad and yet gracious story next week, that Abraham, Abraham's not perfect. He is, in some sense, colossally flawed. But we do see some obedience in his life. But he also responds in, in worship, right? You see him go throughout the land of Canaan that's occupied by other people that are not worshiping God, and he sets up altars. He sort of systematically sets up these altars and worships God, right? And so I just want... I, why does he do that? Because he sees the beauty of God's blessing in his grace. And that's what motivates him to worship. So if you find yourself... If your worship is cold and you find yourself not stirred by worship. The answer is not to sort of kick yourself and try harder and, you know, go to another worship service, you know, a third one of the week or whatever. But the answer is to see what Abram saw, to look at God's grace and to see see the blessing that he offers. And that's what will motivate your worship. Because you don't deserve it. All right, so let's wind up with this conclusion. Uh, Because we have to end by seeing something else about Abram. We have to, like we said earlier, we're going to connect the dots, and so I want to do that now, uh, of why Abram is so important. Um, Because he's immensely important, and it's not primarily because he's an example of faith and obedience and worship to us. He is those things, and and that's valuable, that has value. But Abram's not... Abram's worth, his ultimate value is not because he's those things is an example to us. Because this story actually is not primarily about Abram. It's about whom, to whom Abram pointed. All right, so we referenced Galatians earlier. We're going to do it again. Galatians 3.16 says this. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, quote, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. So do you see what that's saying? That ultimately, God has brought blessing, he's brought about this unimaginable blessing to the world, and in a sense, his blessing is the offspring of Abraham. It's the the ultimate... The ultimate offspring of Abraham, right? Abraham's great, 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 however many greats, grandchild, is Jesus Christ. And that Abram, in a sense, is like a picture, like a faint illustration of what Jesus would do. Right? See, this whole story, the main idea is that this story points to the fact that God is going to raise up one man whom no one would expect. And he's going to use him in his perfect obedience... Because right, what? Abraham couldn't save us, right? Moses, in fact, Moses tried to stand in place of his people. He even Moses even asked God, "Take me and not them," and God said, "No." Why? Because Moses couldn't. Moses can't stand in our place. Abraham can't stand in our place because he wasn't perfect. But God raises up the one that no one would expect, who is perfect, who lives a perfect life of obedience to God. He was perfectly faithful, perfectly obedient, perfectly worshipful. 
And he offers to do that in your place. And he offers to die the death. He does die the death that we deserve. So that we can have his righteousness. So that we can have his blessing absolutely for free. Because it's all about what he did. What Jesus did. And not what we do. So look, we're going to spend the next couple of weeks, next few weeks, uh, looking at Abraham and the rest of his life and going more and more into detail about that very grace. And so I hope you'll come back and, and stick with us to hear even more about God's grace and his blessing that he offers to you, that he offers for free. But that's an invitation tonight, and I hope you take it. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we, as always, have have tread in waters that are very deep, certainly above our heads, but you are gracious to you are gracious to give us ears to hear. So Father, we pray that we would begin to understand the magnitude of your blessing, how enormous it is, and yet how free it is. So that we might lay hold of it in faith. That we might get to be brought in even though we don't deserve it. Jesus, we pray that that would be true of everyone in this room. And if not, would you please make it so? We ask it in your name. Amen.